Welcome back to Draft Fuzz. My name is Walter. We're here today. We're doing two teams again. Uh, I skipped out on yesterday's episode because we had some technical difficulties. I broke a lot of things. Well, I broke one thing, and we don't need to go into that. We need to go into the Giants and the Seahawks because you know what? They're important because they're they wear blue. Today's blue day. That's what, that's where I'm going with this, right? It's all blue all the time. So let's go to the big blue wrecking crew, the New York Giants. Yes, they play right in my backyard, the Meadowlands, and they must people must be going like, Walter, why aren't you a Giants fan or a Jets fan? I go, hold on, man. We're not talking about my fandoms here. We're talking about the Giants. So let's talk about the Giants, right? New head coach, Joe Judge. Old GM, Dave Gettleman. And now they bring in a couple of uh, interesting, intriguing uh, pieces to their coaching staff, right? They, they get uh, Garrett. Jason Garrett of the Dallas Cowboys goes across uh, the division, goes right ahead and signs up to be the offensive coordinator with Joe Judge. Now, I, I, it's been a while since we saw uh, Garrett be a coordinator, right? So that's an interesting one. And then the one that was a little less surprising was Patrick Graham being the D coordinator falls uh, – Joe Judge from New England, and then also, you know, uh, Patrick Graham did his stint last year in Miami. And I listen, take it what you will. Uh, that that defense played uh, with its heart, even though it was missing a lot of pieces uh, towards the end of the year. It did have a couple of, uh, you know, what the heck's going on here calls, but it felt like those were almost intentional to try and lose games. Hello, the Steelers. Anyway, um... I mean, I was just referring to a specific play. I, I just, let's not even worry about that. We're talking about the Giants, right? So, I Patrick Graham, intriguing candidate, right? We know, you know, uh, Joe Judge has experience with him. Uh, Jason Garrett, a uh, little bit less sure how that ended up lining up. And then we have Dave Gettleman. Yes, the Dave Gettleman, the man who's run the drafts for the last three years when they keep on picking in the top ten. And they pick good players, and people have acknowledged this. Dave Gettleman picks good players. He doesn't always pick the most valuable player. He picks good players, right? Or, you know, as far as we go. And uh, this year, actually, I might be one of my favorites of his drafts. I think a lot of people are giving him praise for this year's draft. Uh, I actually gave him praise for last year's draft outside of the Daniel Jones pick. I told people, man, if you swapped the DeAndre Baker pick last year with Daniel Jones, I think less people are complaining. And people... I think that set people in a weird, like, oh, I guess maybe you're right there thing, uh, which doesn't mean I actually it did or didn't agree with the Daniel Jones pick. I kind of felt like it was a weird um, directional send-off compared to the year before where you took Saquon Barkley instead of quarterback. We are not relitigating the 2018 and 2017 drafts. No, uh, the 2019 drafts. We're, we're, we're hanging on, and today we're doing the Giants with Dave Gettleman and Jason Garrett and and Patrick Graham and Joe Judge and Joe Judge is interesting little mayo for my taste not not in his skin complexion don't be racist I'm just saying he just he he's, he comes off as a no nonsense guy but he also doesn't come off as a guy with a lot of personality kind of reminds me of a few people I've met in my life just kind of like all right yeah I get that mm hmm. Anyway, let's go into the draft, right? So, because that's why you're here. You're here for the draft and maybe some free agency talk, and then we'll go into the rest of their uh, their coaching and roster. So, uh, we'll go into the the draft first, and we'll go back into the free agent acquisitions. Their their first pick, man, I like their first pick. One of my favorite players in this draft was Andrew Thomas, a top ten player. If I had a board, it would be he would probably be top ten, top twelve on my board. That 
that's not saying much because I don't actually have a team that I pick for. Uh, I do have the Browns, but that's not I don't work for them. So uh, let, let's discuss that, right? I like Andrew Thomas, right? He's played uh, on the left tackle side, left side tackle. He also played previously on the right side uh, when he first started his freshman year. So he's versatile. Um, he uh, he's probably my second favorite tackle in this draft class outside of uh, Jedrick Wills. He's a decent mover. Uh, just always seemed, even when you thought he was beat, he just always seemed to kind of get the job done. Uh, aggressive, uh, decent. Like I said, decent mover, a really good pass pro, and uh, even a good run blocker. So, uh, I think he's an upgrade over Nate Solder. I think some of the times I would think some of the things he did were very reminiscent of what Nate Solder does well. Uh, but you could definitely, you know, stick this guy at one of your tackle positions and feel comfortable because, again, he's been a three-year starter. You've gotten to see him play in the SEC. He's gone up against a lot of good competition. I love that pick. I love the player. And, again, I think this is a team that's looking to move away from the Nate Solder years and move on to some younger offensive talent, build up the tackle spots, and and go ahead and build around their young quarterback, Daniel Jones. So now they've got uh, a- Andrew Thomas uh, again, I, I, like I said, second favorite tackle in this class. Probably, my, again, like as far as it goes, if you're really looking for a tried and true left tackle, was maybe the better, you know, maybe the better of the the tackle fits for left tackle. Um, he might come in and start at right tackle if they keep Nate Solder on the left side, because again, Nate Solder probably would have a harder time flipping sides, just because you've been in the NFL for so long playing at that position. You're almost kind of set in your ways, whereas getting a younger guy to flip sides is not as hard. It seems like. Uh, we've seen this with some older veterans just kind of switching sides. It doesn't always seem to work well when they've gotten to their, their later stages of their career. Uh, but that's not the only tackle they took. They also took Matt Pert out of uh, Connecticut. Uh, that was an interesting one. Uh, the, the UConn guy was uh, he played right tackle, so maybe he's, maybe he's the future at their right tackle position. So uh, I, And I don't hate that idea because he was more of a developmental guy but when you look at developmental tackles, like you look at Ezra Cleveland, who went in the second round a couple years ago, Brian O'Neill went in the second round. Um, developmental tackles seem to go in the top hundred if they're really good and they show a lot of upside. Uh, Pert kind of n- relatively learning some of the par- nuances to the position. Uh, definitely needs to to get into an NFL weight training program. But when you compare him to a guy like you know Sadiq Charles, I had in like the same. Um, same circle kind of of type of tackles that they were I thought he had more upside than Sadiq Charles uh I actually probably would have went with Lucas Nyang but he had injury issues a lot of teams take that guy off their board uh and that guy was still on the board at the time there were a lot of guys who I liked better than Matt Pert at that uh, but I also thought like again if you know how you want to use him and you think he fits your scheme and you're getting him in there and he's not starting right away Matt Pert is not starting maybe he competes for the spot, but I think it's going to probably be Andrew Thomas and uh, and Nate Solder, and Matt Pert is going to be the heir apparent to whatever spot Nate Solder's playing, or heir apparent to the right side because Matt Pert's played on the right side, and you know Andrew Thomas can play both. So love the O line picks. Uh, I thought this showed this draft show they had, and then they also went later on day three. Shane Lemieux, uh, guard, uh, tough, hard nosed guard. Uh, and the reason why I'm I'm I am you know being all lovely towards I love offensive line play I don't know why I'm like that offensive line nerd kind of guy that's those are my favorite kinds of players, uh, 
you know, to and Joe Judge made a point about this, right? He said to be a good uh, good team, you need a good offensive line. I agree with that. I agree with that mentality, and it shows in their draft, right? It shows in how they attacked this position. They went two tackles and a guard. They uh, they and they spent two ta- and two top one hundred picks on tackles. Uh, and thus, I, I think that I, I you never really know how the roster develops during the season. He has the ability to play right and left. Um, they've also mentioned he's very important is the versatility. Like I said before, he's played both sides. They mentioned a big thing about the school, right? Uh, Kirby Smart, you know, how he runs his program. They go, listen, this is the perfect guy to, you know, perfect especially when you're dealing with these like COVID off seasons, that's the guy you want be coaching the guy who's coming into the NFL, three-year starter. This Again, Andrew Thomas is a good pickup. Um, I, and again, Matt Pert, given the vision, if you have a vision for certain players, we were talking about vision the other day with another team. Uh, it's about, uh, we were talking about with the Matt Rule with the Carolina Panthers. Here they have a vision. They have a vision for some of these players, it sounds like. Uh, but let's move on. They also drafted Xavier McKinney out of Alabama, right? Good player, uh, uh, very versatile safety. Uh, they have a very interesting safety rotation now, right? But this is something that's not uncommon to somebody like Joe Judge and uh, Patrick um, uh, Patrick Graham because he uh, – I, I didn't want to just call him Patrick. It made it sound like, I was, like they had the starfish from SpongeBob coaching the defense, which, listen, did you, that would be kind of cool, right? Like, ah, did you know, uh, you know SpongeBob works the Krusty Krab, but Patrick, uh, he actually is the defense coordinator for the Giants. It's like, ooh, all right. So, uh, yeah, maybe he is. I don't know. Maybe he, did, maybe, maybe he is a starfish. I didn't get to really check out his credentials. Nonetheless, the Starfish coordinator, very fa- very well known for uh, being, you know, dealing with uh, defensive backs. In uh, again, he's coming from uh, Miami. They had uh, they didn't really have as great of a safety core, though. They did have Eric Rowe come in um, towards the end of the year, uh, to second half of the season kind of deal. And again, got a little bit more of the the the, the play that they needed out of those players. Uh, comes from New England, so again, their scheme is going to be very similar, at least defensively, probably to what New England's doing, right? Uh, and what does New England do? They they rely heavily on safeties and coverage and man coverage, and uh, again, those are players that uh, you even saw this with the Chiefs, right? The Chiefs have a lot of guys. I think there's going to be a trend in the NFL where it's okay, maybe we can't get the best corners in the world, but if we get the best safeties, we might be able to cover up some issues with corner. We've seen some teams do this, by the way. Uh, and like I said before, this used to be kind of the uh, the mentality of the, the New England Patriots before they just went full defensive back and then just said, screw it to pass rush, and we'll just draft random guys and hope they turn out well and they end up doing so. So I think that's the mindset that the Giants attack this with. They got Xavier McKinney. He can play nickel linebacker, strong safety, um, too high safety. Uh, you know, we split safety. You know, you have Jordan Love. He could play free safety if you do any single high looks. And uh, and they could definitely do a, a, a two safety. And I think they're going to be using a lot of three safety sets um, with Jabril Peppers, who kind of can also play a nickel linebacker role again those two guys give you a lot of versatility on the you know kind of the middle of the field and honestly there's been some uh 
some uh, some uh, study, some statistical uh, evidence that shows that if you have better coverage in the middle of the field, that's where a lot of throws are going nowadays. So if you make them have to throw outside the numbers, that's going to be the harder throw. That's the stuff that uh, or the the lower completion com- percentage throws. They're also the bigger game changing throws. But if you're making guys have to throw it outside the numbers, there might be a plan here where they say, listen, we'll get a bunch of guys to cover up, you know, help make the middle hard to throw to, and you make them throw to the outside. And if you have a weak-armed quarterback, you're not making that throw. And thus you now be created a defensive scheme that's very beneficial. So I like the the, the Xavier McKinney pick, hard-nosed leader, Alabama defense. People were talking about in the first round. I thought that was kind of weird because I didn't think he was – he's not as plus of an athlete as some of the other safeties. Very big mental guy. Uh, again, coming from Nick Saban, you know, defensive uh, backs, uh, you know, defensive guru, former, you know, NFL coach. And, you know, teams love that. Teams love Nick Saban's guys. And he has the ability to communicate to them, hey, you know – this is what this guy does well. This is what he'll do on your defense. This is what, you know, so when you're coming out of Alabama, especially a guy like this, he probably got a lot of high marks from Nick Saban. So I, I imagine that a lot of these teams were very appreciative of like, oh, this guy can do X, Y, and Z in our system. And it just sounds like he fit exactly what the Giants want to do. And between those three safeties, I think they are, they're they're going to be really well set at safety. Uh, given that, and they just gave, uh, they just extended Jabril. They gave him the fifth-year option, right? They, uh, they. Uh, so between Jabril Peppers, who they have for the next two years, uh, Jordan Love, uh, Julian Love, Julian Love, and uh, Love, Peppers, and McKinney, man, that's a good safety core right there. That's a good rotation. So, uh, all right. So they weren't just drafting. Uh, safeties and tackles right I mentioned before Shane Lemieux it's not all safety and uh an offensive line uh they drafted Darnay Holmes from UCLA in the fourth round um they mentioned you know he's got good speed shows some nasty plays bigger than his size um I mentioned before Shane Lemieux they mentioned how tough he was how powerful he was uh you know they talked about the Auburn game how he's tossing bodies around there was a lot of people who were like this is like Will Hernandez Jr like Will Hernandez who they drafted in the second round a couple years ago this looks like the heir apparent to Kevin Zeitler potentially for when he leaves when his contract is up um and if not then they have to go ahead and figure that out but at least it's one of those opportunities to go ahead and flush out your roster with younger players as older guys age out you know Zeitler is amazing I love Zeitler but again, a guy who fits a similar scheme build and system. So again, you can go ahead and when Seitler's done, you have now a guy hopefully waiting in the wings to come in. So I thought that was a good pickup. Um, they they went after Cam Brown from Penn State. You know, big. He uh, runs well. He's six five. Plays aggressive. You know, they mentioned that he could be you know a little. He's versatile. He could play the edge. He could also kind of be a stack linebacker as well. Um, can be moved around by game plan and by need. They talked to other guys on Penn State, and they all mentioned, like, he was the alpha dog guy. He was their guy, go-to guy. He was the leader. So uh, they really liked that player as well. Uh, then, they, you know, seventh round, they went and got uh, Carter Coughlin out of Minnesota, more of a linear guy, edge rusher. Uh, name of the game is speed here, high motor guys, aggressive, can get uh, value coming in to compete. And, uh, again, they went – they, got, they had, uh, like, four seventh-round picks. So they also went with T.J. Brunson out of South Carolina, but smaller, stacked will linebacker, fast, good instincts. Uh, they were saying plays at 230, 
good value. They fits in the special teams guy is going to make tackles sideline to sideline. They said I'm not necessarily saying this. This is what they're saying. This is the Joe Judge and the uh, um, but what Joe Judge did mention is South Carolina's scheme uh, isn't simple. So that means you know he's been coached hard. He's been co- it's a good culture, communication element on the field. So they really liked his play on the field. They really liked the school he's coming out of. Again, some of these. You know, teams, they are school scouting. They are saying, listen, we know the coaches there. We know how their defensive system comes out. Like, for me to be, like, judging somebody by a school, much harder because I don't know uh, all the play calls. I don't know every – these guys talk a lot of these coaches. They, you know, they have ties. They have connections. So when they're saying, like, this guy's coming out of this system, he made these calls. That's important. Um, again, they went again with uh, another cornerback out of Minnesota, Chris Williamson. You know, they talk about he's got good size, long, he could run. Uh, he might have some safety corner versatility flex, uh, good size and speed combo, can compete for a role on their team. Do that defensive, you know, again, defensively, and they spent a lot of picks on defense on day three because they're trying to get guys to come in and compete for roles and fill out the back end of this roster, guys who can all play on special teams. You know, Joe Judge, special teams uh, coordinator. That, that's not probably why he's doing it, though. Um, they also got Tay Crowder, linebacker out of Georgia. Uh, he used to play running back, converted, 245-pound kid. He runs and plays like uh, uh, at 4'6", and uh, he's only been playing a couple years at linebacker. So, uh, again, another, you know, they throwing starts at linebacker because, again, you don't want to spend heavy on that position. You want, and they like... Again, this is the Patriots scheme. They're like versatile linebackers who could rush, who can cover, who could tackle. So uh, again, I you know I thought this was an interesting draft. All their day three picks kind of seemed like we're going to try and bulk load and try to get like a decent amount. And they had a bunch of seventh rounders. So again, you're trying to get like shots at special teams guys, guys who are going to build out the rest of your roster. Um, name of the game on day three was speed and mostly defense, like I said before. And uh, all all the seventh round guys they mentioned have developmental qualities and tools that help will help potentially get them on the roster and help develop them into real starters uh, into the future. I I thought this was a very good draft. Like I said before, I am a uh, I've never I've not been the biggest Dave Gettleman fan. Uh, I thought he kind of he. Uh, but I, I'm kind of liking what I see here, and it seems like there's a cohesive vision. I think the problem with Gettleman was it it wasn't necessarily his drafting. It was his team building, right? Uh, for instance, you know, are you in a rebuild? What's your vision for the future? You know, one minute you're, you're drafting a running back two overall and signing Alec Ogletree, but then, like, the next year you're taking a quarterback who maybe wasn't as good as some of the quarterbacks in the previous year. We really don't know. This is some. This is more opinions and stuff like that. So let's go into their off season a little bit. Um, uh, they exercise the fifth year options on Evan Ingram and Jabril Peppers. Already mentioned Peppers. Uh, that seems really good. Now you have these guys locked up for the next two years. These are still only guaranteed for injury. Um, until the beginning of next, uh, beginning of the fifth year. Uh, which again, like that's. Uh, I, I this is the last year you get to do it. Also, these guys are picked towards the end of the first round, so they were a little bit cheaper fifth-year options, which explains why they were also more likely to get picked up. Um, they signed Deion Lewis. They signed Blake Martinez. Corey Coleman they re-signed. Uh, the big news one was James Bradbury out of Carolina, a guy who actually Dave Gettleman drafted when he was in Carolina. Colt McCoy the is signed on as a backup. 
uh, Nate Ebner, the safety, Cameron Fleming, another offensive lineman who uh, you know has played with Jason Garrett actually in Dallas. Uh, they also got outside linebacker Kyle Fackrell for a cheap deal. They uh, formerly of the Packers and uh, T- Levine Toilolo, formerly of the 49ers and also of the the Falcons for a two year cheap, uh, you know, six point two million dollar deal, cheap, right? Three million dollars a year. Sign me up, play t- uh, tight end. I probably would not do well at that position. They also re-signed uh, David Mayo to a three-year deal. So a lot of these like little bits and pieces around there. You saw like, a couple of big names, you know. But mainly Blake Martinez and Bradbury were the were the big name signings. Dion Lewis, I'm intrigued by Dion Lewis, right? I'm intrigued by Dion Lewis on the same team as uh, Saquon. I I did a looking forward episode a couple weeks ago. I think I even mentioned this being one of the more intriguing prospects of that. Uh, of that free agent signing, so I, I if they can get the two of them in a backfield at the same time, I, I think it's a, a very interesting running back room. Uh, he probably also has a little bit more uh, special teams ability. Corey Coleman, I actually kind of intrigued by. Um, and you can see they didn't draft any receivers. I think they feel okay with some of their receiving room right now between Tate and Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, who I thought came on really well last year. I got to look at his tape going into this year. Uh, I'm going to start being able to pull, I'm going to start pulling from that. And so we're going to get into when I start looking into the future for these teams, that's a guy who I'm really intrigued by. Um, Corey Coleman, again, former first round pick towards ACL last year, but we, you know, we know those can kind of take a while to come back from, but again, the receiving room, it doesn't seem like all that bad. It, but it's a lot of guys who aren't that tall. So you're going to hopefully get a lot of per, you know, production out of your running backs, your tight ends. You have Saquon Barkley. you got Evan Ingram. Uh, hopefully your scheme helps out. But, again, it is it is Jason Garrett. He can be Jason Garrett. So uh, I'm, not, I, I'm not sold on Jason Garrett as an OC yet. Uh, I do like a lot of the pieces they put into this team. They also franchise tagged Leonard Williams, who has a grievance against the Giants right now for tagging was a D tackle uh, instead of a D end, and the difference is about $1.7 million. I don't know what's going to probably come out of that. Sometimes the team and the players split the difference a lot of the time. Um, they did lose Halapio, uh, Marcus, uh, Marcus Golden, and Lattimore. Golden, actually, they hit with the UFA tender, which is basically... So if you know... Uh, how uh, the uh, compensatory pick formula works is that I, I, the day after the draft, basically, you uh, if you sign anybody after that, you, uh, you you doesn't count towards the pick formula, even if they would have counted towards the pick formula before the draft. So he, uh, what happens is you hit somebody with this tender, and you still this is like uh, it still gives you the opportunity to get a pick out of the compensatory pick formula. And if they don't sign by a certain date, they become basically a restricted, uh, ex- exclusive rights restricted to your team. So that's kind of, this has only been used like twice since I've been watching football. I think the Patriots did it a couple of years ago with LeGarrette Blunt. It's a relatively, you know, but we know Blunt signed with another team eventually. It is an intriguing uh, decision on their end. Uh, I think it's to try and force Marcus Golden's hand as well as if he signs a decent-sized deal to get him to count towards their pick formula for next year um, because they, they only really signed one big contract, but also they didn't really lose they didn't really lose a lot of guys who, who signed big contracts either. Um, 
I, the defensive backs on this team are very intriguing, right? You're just going down the list, right? You got James Bradbury at corner, and on the other side, you maybe have DeAndre Baker. You maybe have uh, uh, the guy who they drafted last year who uh, in the – what's his name? Before I get into that, well, their D-tackles are also kind of crazy, too. I'm actually kind of curious if they keep all these D-tackles there, right? They've got Dexter Lawrence, Dalvin Tomlinson, um, B.J. Hill, I believe, is still on the roster. I can't – why is he not popping up on here, though? Um, Leonard Williams. Oh, yeah, he is there. Uh, Chris Slayton, Austin Johnson, O'Shane Zimenez. Uh, a lot of like interesting pieces on their defense. Uh, I mentioned before they have uh, DeAndre Baker, Sam Beal, who they took in the supplemental draft, uh, Corey Ballantyne, who played a little bit last year. They got James Bradbury, and then uh, at it's weird because their depth charts changed a little bit because they add in just standard DB. Um, because again, they they have a bunch of defensive backs on this this roster, so. Um, Julian loves Xavier McKinney, Jabril Peppers. I like their safety room. Um, Baker, you know, you're hoping, you know, he's going to take a step forward in year two. Uh, Bradbury, you know, I don't look at him as a true number one corner, uh, but he's good. He played pretty well when he was in Carolina. So, you know, he's probably that next tier down. He's not like a true shutdown guy, but he's probably a, a, a low end one, high end two corner which is kind of a nice kind of player to have, right? He's not the top-tier talent, but he's good, and he helps set up your defense very well. And again, when you have this rotation of good safeties, a decent corner on one side, and then maybe you can build up around you know, DeAndre Baker, and maybe Sam Beal shows up. You know, I mentioned before Nate Ebner. They have a lot of pieces on that back end. Um, linebacker, it's a lot of eh, names, right? Martinez, Mayo. A lot of uh, fackerel, guys who you're hoping you can get a little bit of production from and cover your rear end as guys who you drafted in like on day three can kind of help develop. Uh, the offensive line, I'm, cur- I'm actually kind of curious about, right? They uh, they have Spencer Pulley now at center, um, Will Hernandez, Nate Solder, uh, Kevin Zeitler, Andrew Thomas, uh, Matt Pert, Shane Lemieux. Uh, Cam Fleming, you have a lot of depth now, a lot of young guys there, some cheap backups. You got, uh, you know, you have a lot of good on that line, and you have a lot of interesting. The only position I'm really curious about that I'm a little shocked they didn't really truly address was center. And, you know, they don't longer have Halapio. Maybe they bring him back. Uh, you, know, they, uh, you know, they didn't uh, tender him, so maybe they were looking to, to give him back a little bit cheaper. Uh, maybe they make a trade for somebody or somebody becomes available. But uh, offensive line, decent offensive line. Receiving core, again, like I said before, kind of an intriguing receiving core. Uh, I liked what I saw from Darius Slayton. And uh, Evan Ingram's still there. Levine Toilolo's kind of replacing a little bit of what you lost when you you lost uh, Red Ellison. You have uh, Eric Tomlinson, who can kind of play a little bit of tight end three or fullback role. Uh, I And then you have Colt McCoy and Daniel Jones. I, I think this is a very intriguing roster. Um, as far as their prospects for 2020, I think they are going to be a harder team to beat. Now, again, the big problem here is 
Joe Judge is coming off of a short offseason, not the ability to have the, all the guys in the room and kind of, you know, not getting rookie minicamp and getting the benefit of being a rookie head coach of where you get the extra time with your players and not being able to be in the room with everybody. So I do think that they are going to be a little bit of a disadvantage. I like a lot of the pieces, though. Like, I don't think they are the worst team in their division. I don't think they're one of the worst teams in the NFC. I don't think they're one of the worst teams in the league. Like, I was thinking a couple of years ago when everything was kind of falling out of place. It seems like now they are taking the time to go ahead and address positions of value in certain ways. I'm still not a big fan of Blake Martinez, but he's a piece of the defense. Um, He's still, you know, a good tackler, good downhill guy. Um... But again, like the Packers didn't really want to keep him around either. Uh, Mayo was a good idea to keep him on just because you needed depth at the, the linebacker position. I feel like that's their one weakness. But if you look at their defensive back room, I think they're going to be playing a lot of nickel and dime anyway. So I'm not really worried about that if I'm the Giants. Uh, and then they also have some of the best, de- you know, they have a bunch of D linemen. Like I said before, Tomlinson, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, BJ Hill. Uh, they have a, a, a big, and you might, and as far as pass rush goes, they don't have any truly great pass rushers. O'Shane, O'Shane Zimenez, you might, you're expecting to get step forward. Kyler Fackrell played okay, uh, for the Packers, was more of a rotational guy in, in recent years past. So again, like you're looking to see what you can get out of all these players. I kind of am very intrigued by this roster. Um, Joe Judge intrigues me as a coach. And uh, listen, good on you guys, Giants. I'm uh, I'm intrigued by your team. So let's move on, right? We we've done the team that is intriguing because they have a new head coach. What about the team that's the playoff perennial contender? But I was always making you scratch your head. Yes, I am talking about the Seattle Seahawks because uh, PD Sunshine, Pete Carroll. That that's a that's a name I'm I'm borrowing for a minute. Um, they, they just always seem to kind of like make you a little bit perplexed about what they're doing, how they value things, and about how they go about stuff. And that's just how it is. I, I never quite gauge what the hell they're doing. Um, they sometimes make picks out make you go, why did you do that? And they still end up making it the playoffs because, I mean, part of it is they have Russell Wilson. And part of it is they do get performance out of certain guys because they do like taking a lot of mid-round picks and developing them into something really amazing they will miss on like their first three picks but then they'll get three guys in the middle rounds that are really good are there any guys this year like that well let's see first off um you know first round pick they drafted jordan brooks out of texas tech this is not who a lot of people a lot of people saw this draft and saw this pick in the first round they were all like what who's that and Listen, uh, I think what happened was is they had a trade. They wanted to trade down at the last minute. They didn't get their trade down, and they were like, this is the guy we targeted. We wanted to trade down and get an extra pick in the mid-round. We're kind of a little annoyed here, but this is who we're taking, and thus they took Jordan Brooks. They had a trade set up with Green Bay. That fell through. There might have been a couple of other guys. So let's talk about um, Jordan Brooks. Now, I think the theme of their draft, the Seahawks draft, the uh, it was grit. They took they took a lot of guys with a lot of uh, personal baggage in their background. Not bad baggage, but just that they've dealt with things and personal things. And uh, Pete Carroll talked about how it affected those players and, and their how he thinks that those things like in your past, your personal history, help you grow as a person. Uh, with Jordan Brooks, he grew, you know he was homeless for a bit. Uh, 
And uh, they they mentioned that listen, this is a guy who they can utilize a lot as far as a as a stack linebacker. Um, you know, he runs a four four six. Really, he ran a four five four at the combine. But maybe they're talking about another you know uh, measurement. Maybe they got it from the coaches. Maybe they got it from the pro day. Um, two hundred and thirty pounds. Uh, you know, he played out in space. He was a rover in the Big Twelve. Uh, senior year, he played inside. Uh, Utah staff came down there, and the strike coach helped build him up and ripped him up into this year. And you know, again, they talk about the hardship and makes it through the you know made it stronger than from the lessons he learned along the way. Uh, Pete Carroll mentioned how versatile he was. Played, you know, uh, you know, was spying the QB, was rushing guys, can play inside, can play outside linebacker. Uh, Want to see where he can fit? Uh, they really liked him from the combine interview and uh, from the formal interviews. And, uh, you know, they, they talked about the hard-nosed work ethic mentality. Came across as a, as a great fit. Uh, a lot of speed on the field. Uh, they weren't really mentioning him as a Sam linebacker, but then the it got mentioned in one of the, the post-draft conferences. And they were like, you know, it could actually potentially be it. Uh, they also talked about the senior bowl, helped the eval. Schneider didn't really get to meet with him at the combine or, uh, or at the senior bowl, but, you know, they were uh, – they did get people in the room with him and got to to vet him, so they they did appreciate you know the 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 time they spent. They spent a lot of time with this guy. He probably was one of those prospects where, listen, they probably spent more time with this prospect than they did with a lot of other prospects just because they had the opportunity to. Now, granted, it wasn't Schneider always in the room or Pete Carroll, but it was their guys who were in the room with them, guys who they trust because Seahawks have been you know pretty pretty good at this for a while. Um, I. Thought this was an interesting pick. Again, I mentioned before, it seems like they wanted to trade down. Uh, they targeted this guy. They wanted him. The next guy they took as well, they mentioned they had targeted as well. They didn't think they were going to get him. They thought he was going to go higher. Uh, might not have been big on draft circuits, you know, as far as the internet and the Twitterverse. But these guys, they really liked. They went ahead in second round. They got Daryl Taylor out of Tennessee. Um, they they were considered taking him at one. At least they keep saying so. This is the problem with Pete Carroll, right? You really can't believe everything he says. So he's gonna sit there and say, "This guy's amazing. This guy's amazing." Seven round pick. He's gonna be doing great. He's a, he's gonna be a superstar in the NFL. This is how Pete Carroll talks. Um, he pumps up everybody. I'm a big fan of that. Um, makes it hard to interpret what he's planning on doing, but I, I do appreciate why he does it and kind of like the the methodology and his it, how he likes to build up the character of some of his guys um but he did say this is a guy who is in consideration for round one uh they kept it quiet that they wanted to get him they were shocked that he fell through um view him as a top end pass rusher played through a stress fracture so he dealt with you know a lot of uh had surgery at the end of the year uh, they had him in for a visit right before quarantine hit because, again, like he had the stress fracture. Uh, upbeat personality, aggressive, uh, Pete Carroll mentioned. Uh, got to be up close and personal. as a real edge. Was really effective on third down. Did a lot defensively. Uh, with uh, Very, very diverse responsibilities. Um, they compared him to Frank Clark a little bit, as in, like, again, he's a, you know, more of a speed to power, some athletic ability, uh, Slight ability to drop into coverage for a few snaps a game. They're probably not going to utilize that too often, but to give you a little bit of mix and match here, um, contribute early, good against the run, aggressive, good tackler. And they want to utilize a rotation at defensive end. You know, they drafted a, a guy last year. They'll probably get somebody else in free agency. They'll sign somebody else. But, again, they they, they liked what they saw from the guy. Um, 
one of the the actually sometimes you'll get a little bit of from the uh from the uh the the beat reporters kind of parroting outside uh thoughts for instance uh one of the beat reporters had mentioned um other coaches have said to him that you know Joe, uh, that he's kind of raw. He's kind of he's got five star potential, but three star traits, like three star play on his tape. And Pete was Pete was saying, like, you know what? He was consistent. The coaches loved him. He's a culture setter, and the entire staff loved the guy when he's gonna, and he's going to battle. So those two guys were intriguing prospects. They weren't guys who necessarily everybody had high on their board. But again, Seattle comes at these things with a very specific vision. And I'm not at the time, like, there's certain guys that they just kind of take and they, you know what, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Because, again, they like taking those fire shots later on anyway. Um, I don't really have much to add to those two picks. They, you know, they, they seem to want to be able to utilize these guys to kind of fill out roles on their defense. Uh, defensive end and linebacker are positions that they value. They like athletic linebackers. They like having a decent, uh, decent rotation of uh, defensive ends and rushers and D linemen. Uh, you know, they have Damian Lewis. They, they drafted Damian Lewis in the third round. This is a, a guard guy who I was kind of intrigued by, uh, interior O-lineman LSU. Uh, this is where they mentioned Ed Ogeron, uh, you know, head coach of LSU has a very big connection with Pete Carroll. Um, that was very clear. They, it was, it was brought up multiple times. Um, they're projecting with a play right guard because they've seen him do that. They saw him do it for 22 starts, playing big boy football in the SEC. So uh, he's got good length for a guy who isn't tall. They like him. He's got a good anchor. You're going to love the – you know, he said Ogeron's going to – Ogeron said to him, hey, you're going to love this kid from the way he competes, right? Good length. And, and, again, played some of the best guys in the country, LSU. I mean, you got to see it on some of the, the, the college football playoff games. Really good player. I was intrigued by his uh, his play. I think he, he fits what they kind of want to do. Uh, he even said that he was kind of a, a fan of the of the Seattle Seahawks a bit. So um, all three of these guys, you know, I was mentioning before, they, they talked about the hardships that Brooks dealt with. All three of these guys dealt with some kind of hardship. Family member that was incarcerated, uh, homelessness, and how those uh, personal, you know, background uh, qualities may actually play into, hey, like it kind of adds to the grit. For instance, you know, with uh, with Daryl, it was a, you know, yeah, he had, he had some personal background. And, uh, you know, if you're dealing with personal background, you think about it, he played through a, a stress fracture. That, that was a lot less to him probably than, you know, having a family member, uh, be incarcerated where the, the mental issues with that, you know, the mental that takes to go through that is probably a lot harder. So they, they, they appreciated his, his, all these guys' mental makeup as well. Um, day one and two, I think a lot of people had questions about the draft, but like I said before, it's very hard to critique the Seahawks because it, they just seem to find ways of manufacturing ways to make it work. Um, and again, I, I like Damian Lewis. This is finally like one of those guys like, okay, this is a guy who's going to come in He's going to plug in, play right guard, compete with a fluker, and, you know, maybe you kick fluker to the other side, or now you have, like, a good rotation. They also, by the way, got rid of uh, Britt at center, caught him, cleared up $8 million. So it seems like they're going to go for some, you know, they cleared out a little bit of extra money there, too. Um, that was just something to mention. Uh, day three, right? Day three, they go ahead, they draft Kobe uh, Parkinson out of Stanford, big guy, tight end. Uh, they met out with him at the combine. Coach Schaub came in, was bragging about him. Um, you know, Schneider said he's a tough and smart, reliable guy. 
Uh, Pete Carroll was saying, like, you know, you got to beef him up, give him a little bit better as a blocker, but he's already pretty good as a pass catcher. Uh, you know, round four, they took DJ Dallas, right, wide receiver who moved to running back, versatile. Uh, you know, John Schneider even mentioned that he was a high school QB. Pete Carroll mentioned a lot about the special teams element that this guy's going to bring to the table. Uh, he's try hard. He played wildcat back in the backfield in, in uh, college. Hopefully he will contribute in different ways. Um, you know, find different ways to fit him into the offense. Uh, Edge, Alton Robinson, Syracuse, they mentioned, right? This guy drafted in the fifth round for him. They wanted to build depth on the defensive line. Uh, you know, production and ability to do the stuff that uh, that guys who were picked higher were doing. Uh, excited to get him in, work him out. He actually worked out with their guys out in Seattle, and apparently they were like they kind of made the joke of like, listen, I guess that that strategy worked for him. He's working out with our friends, our players in Seattle. Maybe the the echoes kind of. I don't think they really draft like that, but maybe, you know, maybe hearing about that kind of pushes him up their board a little bit. Or when he's there, it makes you go, you know, let's take this guy. Um, contrasted with Daryl, both are classic edge rushers. Both have good get off, good leverage, strength, girth in the lower body. Um, Really coordinated technique. Uh, they were shocked he was still there in round five as well. Uh, they also took another. They took a wide receiver, Freddie Swain, out of Florida. Uh, they mentioned he was. He's got some swag, kind of a smart football player, uh, competitor. Mentioned that the scouts, specifically Barry and Highsmith, had checked him out, and that uh, his intelligence uh, might put him ahead of the curve as far as adapting to the game, especially in this COVID off season. And then finally, uh, round seven, they took. St- Tight end Stephen Sullivan at LSU, developmental prospect, was very open with uh, uh, with Coach McPherson at the, the combine and the Senior Bowl. Um, you know, Coach o- Ogron had told uh, P. Carroll, like, "Listen, our biggest mistake was that we never u- we didn't use them enough because we had so many good players and we tried to utilize and try to get them around, but they, we just had so many guys. Remember, they had Thaddeus Moss, they had Sullivan." They had Justin Jefferson, they had Jamar Chase, they had Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and when you have such a big, you know, so many good guys in your offense, it's hard to kind of get them to really play, uh, get them all to play at a, at a certain level. Um, you know, Pete Carroll even mentions like, you know, you didn't, they didn't use him enough, but he's like, he, he's particularly good as a receiver at the line of scrimmage, can see all the talent that he has. You know, they're trying to play a, a football team that can play anywhere in a park, in a street, in in the driveway in the backyard, in the valley, in the highs, in the lows, in the mountains, if you can, now can you scream? They want to, They want guys who can fight. They want They want fighters. And they want guys who have some grit. Like I said, all these guys, all the, the top guys had a, had a bunch of a grit to them. And it's a, uh, John Schneider said it's a never-ending study on what, what that mental makeup does for these players. Uh, and Pete Carroll even mentioned life experience molds you, and that life experience really does affect how they looked at some of these players. Um, I'll talk quickly about their free agency. Uh, they, because again, I did the, the, the looking forward episode. So actually, again, it was one of the teams that right before the draft I did, they re-signed Mike Upati, they signed Dorsett, they acquired Quentin Dunbar from the, the Washington team. They signed Chance Warmack, who took a year off. They signed Cedric Obwehi, formerly of the Jaguars. They signed Brandon Shell, formerly of the Jets, to a two-year, $9 million contract. They they signed Bruce Irving back, formerly of the Panthers, used to be a Seahawk. Now they're reunited. Reunited. And it feels so good. They re-signed Luke Wilson. They re-signed Jaron Reed to a two-year deal. They're D-tackle. So, again, they've... they've Listen, 
just because you, you're paying attention to the this is kind of a very underrated uh all season they really took shots on o-line right you potty warmack uh Luker's already on the team they got away he and brandon shell right they lost fan he walked away this is a very intriguing team i am uh especially about how they've handled offensive line, a position that they've been kind of uh, not considered good at over the years, right? So now you look at it and, you know, you have a couple of guys competing for right tackler between Wheeler and Shell and Obwehi, and then left tackle you have Dwayne Brown and you have Jamarco Jones backing him up. Again, another guy who compete compete for one of the other tackle spots. Uh, you have Ethan Posick, uh, B.J. Finney, Phil Haynes, Damian Lewis, Mike Potty, Joey Hunt, um, Chance Warmack. They just got a lot of guys in that 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 room who are going to come in and compete for spots, and hopefully that builds out a decent offensive line. I think that this is probably one of the more talented offensive lines I've seen them sport in a while. The only question is actually center, which they just cut their center. Don't know why they did that. Like I actually liked. Uh, I thought that was their one other piece outside of Dwayne Brown that I thought was really good. So that was kind of a shocker. Um, wide receiver wise, they've got Metcalf, they got Lockett, they got Dorsett, they got David Moore. Um, you know, they they signed Greg Olson in free agency, who is released. Then he joined up with the Seahawks, so he's going to help coach up their their tight end room while also being a great player. They've got Will Disley still, who's although I don't know how much Will Disley's going to be able to do. He's coming off a really bad injury. Um, Luke Wilson, they re-signed. He's kind of more of a tight end two, tight end three kind of guy, depth player, you know, kind of a more specific role player. Uh, Chris Carson's coming off a little bit of an injury. Rashad Penny's coming off a major injury, ACL tear. So offensively, though, I, I think this is going to be a better offense than it was last year. Like, I think everything they put in this room, they spent a lot of uh, effort and time and money to really throw at this uh, at this offensive line. Uh, outside of that, right? They also have the defensive line, right? They have Puna Ford, liked him uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, Jaron Reed, L.J. Collier, uh, Bruce Irvin's back as the Leo. Uh, also as like you know off-ball linebacker. They got Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, Jordan Brooks, uh, Shaquem Griffin, who actually uh, I think if you could utilize him more as a rushing role, would be intriguing. Um. You know, and, and their defensive backs, they got Shaquille Griffin, uh, Shaquem's brother, the uh, you got Trey Flowers, uh, Brad McDougal. Uh, they did release Tedrick Thompson, so a guy who was a fifth-round pick a, a couple of years ago, uh, but uh, more because they have Quandre Diggs at free safety, right? guy who they traded for during the season last year. Um, Dunbar's going to compete for a spot, Trey Flowers, Shaquille Griffin. Dude, I think this team's actually a lot better than it was last year, and last year they made it to the playoffs. So, Seattle, I think, is on the route up. Like this is, and this is kind of the sneaky team, right? Like everybody's looking at, oh, they had this kind of weird, dumb draft. Well, they they did they, they filled out pieces in their draft. This is like we we're talking about the Saints, right? The Saints did specific moves to help build out their roster. They don't, and now granted, the Saints probably picked players that were higher on other people's boards. So I think that's why the Saints, when they do it, people no longer look at them like they're cuckoo bananas. But we've seen it before. Marcus Davenport, you know, a couple years ago they drafted. A lot of people didn't agree with them trading a first rounder to go ahead and take Davenport, the Saints, I mean. So here with the Seahawks, they're doing kind of the same thing. They've 
kind of filled out a really intriguing roster. Uh, you do need to eventually have an heir apparent to Dwayne Brown. I like Jamarco Jones. I liked him coming out of, of Ohio State. Um, I think there's a lot of pieces in that offensive line room where I'm not as worried about this offensive line anymore like we were a couple of years ago where, where Russell Wilson was running for his life. I like the receiving core, right? Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Philip Dorsett. These guys are fast. Some speed element to their offense. And then, you know, you got the tight end room, which is intriguing as well. You got Greg Olson finally, you know, doesn't have – getting going to be taking passes from Russell Wilson. Man, that's an intriguing element on its own right. Defense – yeah, the defense does not have as many great players as it did before. They're probably going to be looking to, to build up their pass rush. But overall, again, you know, the back end looks a lot better. Um, maybe they do sign somebody in free agency. Maybe they get Ziggy Anza back on a cheap deal. Maybe they get somebody else who's kind of looking to, to make it back into the NFL because they seem to do that, and they do that really well. So, uh, Or maybe LJ Collier takes his step forward. Maybe, you know, again, Bruce Irvin, they brought him back. So... That's a, those are big pieces to their 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 defense. I think this is very. I, I think it's it might be weird to say, but I think the Seahawks got a lot better in this offseason, sneaky better, which is kind of an interesting thought. Um, don't tell anybody though, because I don't want to hurt the, the anybody's feelings. So if you want to follow the podcast at DraftVice on Twitter at DraftVice underscore football on Instagram, you can follow me at brojo. Death is in the end of life. Punch like a delicious drink. And again, you can follow the podcast, like it, follow, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review on the iTunes and anywhere else where you listen to podcasts and uh, Facebook, all those fun things. Have a good weekend. Have a good week. Uh, maybe I'll be back tomorrow. Hopefully I have to do a little bit of uh, dancing and singing to make my supper. So have a good day.